Clitus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. I like to play with things a while before annihilation. Pathetic Earthlings! Who can save you now? Flash! Spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over 18. Now prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the Spoiler Room. And welcome to another edition of the Spoiler Room. We are continuing our celebration of being 10 years on the YouTubes. It is milestone month because we also have a thousandth video being posted and we will soon be coming up on our hundredth uh, episode. So in celebration of that, we're doing science fiction month here on the Spoiler Room. Yes, each week we are covering a different sci-fi film that I wanted to talk about. And today I'm talking about the 1980 classic epic film Flash Gordon. And in the uh, <laughs> someone had to say it. Thank you. Someone someone had to say it. And in the spoiler room crew tonight we have a large crew to help discuss uh, this fun and interesting film. First off, the one the only diva of the spoiler room herself, it is Dawn. Hello Dawn. Hello. Good evening, gentlemen. Glad to have you in here so it is not just a sausage fest. <laughs> <laughs> Always glad when Don's in the room. And <laughs> next to her, the BFD, Mr. Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. Hello. Can you give us our best impetuous boy? Can you say it in like a nice, a blessed voice? I want to do that one. I would rather flying, flying to the rocket cycle. That's pretty fabulous. That's fabulous. And next to the BFD, he has returned. He's been gone way too long. We have back a new voice, well, a returning voice. It is Jason Zulliger. He is in the house tonight. Jason, welcome back. Thank you. I am so excited to be here, and I am ready to get my flash on. <laughs> ready um... to get your flash on. <laughs> <laughs> and next to him is the uh, merciless Mark. Yes, Mark Waldrich is back with us. Hello, Mark. Greetings and salivations, everybody. 
Yes. There's a reason why I called him Merciless, and that'll come up in just a minute. And the man himself, the myth, the legend, it is Scotty D. He is here with us. Hello, Scott. Pathetic Earthlings, who can save you now? Flash! That's, ah. that's actually from the promo, not the movie, but still. That is, eh. Yes, that is. <laughs> and we are talking, as I mentioned, the Flash Gordon, 1980. Not that TV series uh, and not the black and white series. No, no. This is the 1980 epic. What? I have all my stuff about Buster Crab. <laughs> Starring Sam Jones and Max von Sydow. And Sam Jones plays a football player. And he and his friend and the scientists get trapped on a uh, rocket ship and they fly to the planet Mongo where they find themselves fighting the tyrannical Ming the Merciless to save Earth. Uh, that's basically it. <laughs> Add in a dash of some classic and some talented actors and a kick-ass soundtrack from Queen and you have a film that is near and dear to my heart. So we're going to go uh, really quick down the line. We'll get everybody's thoughts here really quick on when, uh, you know, uh, their fondest memory of seeing Flash, either the first time they saw Flash or just, uh, you know, how this film, uh, how they feel about this film. And we'll start right away with Dawn. Dawn. Are you kidding me? Y no. <laughs> I can come back to you if you like. We'll, we'll come back oh, to you. No, no. I'm just, I just, I'm, you know. I like to keep people on their toes. Uh huh. Oh. So, I, so, yeah. I have no. I I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. Mm -hmm. it, it's like I. This movie's just always kind of been there. Favorite memory about this movie? Probably the favorite memory of a couple of people in the spoiler room, dressing <laughs> up and doing the uh, doing the whole freak garden. I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> There is absolutely no photographic evidence whatsoever. There, there is some photographic evidence, not a whole lot, but apparently there was a blonde Mark, the movie man, on that float. Yes, folks. And, if you, oh, go ahead. And a very bald. Um, yeah. Uh, Mark Wolders. Yes, mm -hmm. a very very bald bald Mark Wolders. Going chrome dome for a reason there. <laughs> and if you pay attention to the thumbnails that I create for these episodes, uh, that is indeed a bald Mark with a mustache. Uh, and I, I put him on Max von Sydow's body because if uh, you remember, we did do an episode with the Blues Brothers and we talked about trivia, the world's largest trivia contest, and in there you have a parade. And one year, our crew decided to do Flash Gordon and we dressed up as the entire main cast. We had Ming, we had Aura, uh, Dawn was uh, Princess... Yeah, Princess Aura, and uh, wow. Mark Woldrich was Emperor Ming. I dyed my hair blonde so I could play Flash Gordon. <laughs> we had a, a rather interesting individual that many people know out there uh, playing the uh, uh, role of the... Uh, Voltan. Oh, Voltan, yes. 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 <laughs> we also had a Clytus. We had a Prince Baron. Uh, we had oh, yeah, Zarkov. We had uh, Dale Arden. We had as many people as we could fit on that float. And it was a very fond memory, though it was a very dangerous trailer. Uh, so, yeah. So, Nobody yeah. fell off that year. 
No one fell off that year. No, that is true. No one did fall off that year. Uh, but that is a, that is a great memory. I, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because my yeah. favorite. Because how often do you get to? I mean, aside from if you're going to cons, mm-hmm. how often do you get to do that for a, a parade? Yes. Be fun. And then we went all in, and Mark sacrificed his head of hair just so he could play Ming. So Mark Mark was Flash Gordon and Mark was Ming. There you go. That's a little odd fact as well. So great memory there. Thanks, Don, for mentioning that. And Glenn, how about you? Uh, you remember when you first saw this, or do you have a, a particular it memory? It is etched into my forever memory. Ooh. I remember watching this. I came home, and I just started drawing pictures and writing stories about this. I drew War Rocket Ajax and all the Hawkmen. Fighting, oh my gosh, I just, weeks I gushed about this thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, well, uh, do you remember around, uh, were you a youngster at the time when you saw it? Well, this was uh, 80, what? 1980. 1980, I was nine. Ah, so. so very impressionable age. So, uh Yes. (laughs) Unlike now, where I'm not impressionable at all. Oh no, not at all. (laughs) And 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 Jason, how about you? Uh, Your fond memory, or you remember first seeing this? Well, I was ten actually, Mm -hmm. and uh, my dad was really into uh, science fiction and fantasy, and. So at, when I was seven, I saw Star Wars, and that was my favorite movie of all time. But then after that, we, you know, we would always go see the, the big science fiction movies that came out. And I remember I went to this with him, and I, yeah, it just blew me away. Um, it was very much anti-Star Wars, as far as you know, the, you know, Star Wars was dingy and. Look, tried to look realistic, and Flash was absolutely the opposite of that. And it just, it just kind of blew my mind. And um, just real quick, I'll say I talked to my dad last weekend, and I asked him if he remembered seeing it, and he said, "Yeah, I do." And yeah, I really didn't like it. <laughs> and wow. I don't remember that at all. I just remember, and he probably didn't say anything because he saw me just, you know, going ape shit over it. Um, but. Uh, yeah, that was it. It had a big, uh, big impression on me as a child. And uh, Woldridge, Mr. Mark, uh, how about you, sir? Yeah, I'm trying to remember the first time I saw it. It was actually on TV, so it was probably later '80s that I actually first saw it. So I did not see it in the theatrical run. And I'll speak to the opposite. I didn't like it at that point. Uh, coming off of uh, the whole Star Wars thing and everything like that, it was a little too campy, a little too bright, a little too not what we are sort of you know grew up with as far as the other style of space epics. And so it wasn't until later on that uh, got a, a different sort of appreciation for it. And it's it's a wonderful film. It's not necessarily a good film. But it's wonderful nonetheless, and and so and also the other sideways way into it is uh, my somewhat unhealthy fascination with Queen, and so that was the other other way coming in with that, and of course the, the epic soundtrackness of it. So uh, yeah, it was uh, something that grew on me over time. Get it off! Get it off! <laughs> 
Uh, and Scotty B, how about you, sir? Uh, I begged to see this in the movie theater. I was uh, five years old at the time, because it came out uh, in December 1980, if I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And uh, I just begged to see it. Oh, I wanted to see it so bad. Because I wanted to see any, I'd see anything with space in it, and of course, this was like the biggest space thing to come out since, well, since Empire a few months before, which I also was not allowed to see. Um, the um, and I begged and begged and begged. For some reason, I don't know if it was because my brother was being a dick about this movie too. Uh, I was not allowed. I was either not allowed or didn't get to see this in the theater. I would have killed to see this in a 70 millimeter print. Oh my god! I'd love to see that now, and mm-hmm. um, I would just love it. And th- but the you know I didn't get to see it then. I for some reason they took me to see fucking Popeye when that came out a week later. <laughs> but I complete and the first film where even at five years old I turned to my mom and said this is really not very good <laughs> um, and uh, but for some reason completely missed the original theatrical run of Flash Gordon I saw it on HBO uh, a year later when it hit and thankfully they played that sucker like t- 20 times that month and I think I saw it every single time uh and i just loved how bright it was and everything and you know i've had off and on feelings over the years about it but you know gosh now it's just amazing because i mean i think that you you sometimes get like to a point where you're just like well you know yes they could have taken this more seriously and this uh imagine if they did this differently but then whenever you sit down with the movie just like i did when i saw this when i was by then six years old you're just like, God dang, this is like almost like a perfect movie. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's so bright and energetic and and fun. I love it. Oh, and, and I'm the same way. I saw it when I was uh five. I had turned five, five and a half. My parents got the soundtrack on the vinyl. I loved it. I used to play the soundtrack all the time. In fact, the scene in here where they take off in the rocket and the rocket's kind of spinning through the Imperial Vortex, little five-and-a-half-year-old, six-year-old Mark would, would sit there and play that, and he would spin in the living room like the rocket uh, when it was when we got to that track. Uh, <laughs> uh, this film has been with me, uh, yeah, since I was five. I've watched it many, many times. I understand how it might not appeal to some, but, you know, there is just something about this film when you sit down. I don't know if it's just the honesty of the film, what they were trying to make, the cast, or just a a mixture. But for me, I sat down, and uh, when it came out on Blu-ray, I got the Blu-ray, I sat down with my kids, and my kids enjoyed it. Kids born in this millennium sat down and enjoyed the hell out of this film. And that right there told me that there is something about this film that I think appeals to a lot of people. Now, uh, our title character here is played by Sam Jones and Dale Arden, his uh, love interest, the the female in distress that he has to save besides Earth, is played by Melody Anderson. And I realized something. They're the only two without an accent in this movie. <laughs> yep, they're the only two Americans in that movie. And I, I didn't, you know, it didn't really dawn on me at all until I was watching this. And I'm like, wow. Um, but what what I think helps with this film uh, is 
that the actors, I mean, even Sam Jones uh, is all in, but the other actors around him are really are, are really decent actors, and they make Sam Jones, I think, look better than he really was in this film. W- what would you say, Jason? Uh, would you say that uh, the actors really help kind of cover up the fact of, of Sam Jones rather not so excellent acting? Oh, sure, absolutely. And and the the cheesiness of the script, to have these really excellent actors be all in, 100% saying these lines, it just... It, it takes this turd of a script and just makes it like into gold. I mean, it's just, you know, I was watching it again for the third time in the past two weeks and it's just, just all the great lines that are delivered and how they're delivered and, you know, okay, maybe they're not great lines, but just the way they're delivered and, and how they're presented, it just, the uh, man, it's, it's great. And, and you, you can forgive, any of the poor acting or you can forgive, you know, Sam Jones and, and things like that because you're just surrounded by just great actors. Everyone is absolutely gnawing on the scenery. I'm surprised they didn't have to cover up tooth marks afterwards. It's just <laughs> phenomenal. Just what just every every facial tick and eye you know, eye rolling back in his head with Brian Blessed is absolutely phenomenal <laughs> watching his face. <laughs> Brian Bre- Blessed, Prince Voltan Oh man, just when you thought this film was, was you know, it, it, and his character, we get to see him in the beginning in that epic uh, uh, throne room scene where we first see uh, Flash Gordon and Dale and and uh, Zarkov played isn't by. That, isn't that a great? Just wanted to say, say, just I know, let you finish your thought, but I just wanted to say, isn't that a great way to introduce all the characters? Because there's a lot of characters in this movie, and almost all of them we, we haven't met before. Everybody else gets in, introduced to this huge throne room scene. Yeah, that scene looks. It looks so much like it's like sci-fi night at Studio Fifty Four. Yeah, it's like Vegas. In, it's like Vegas in space. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Go ahead, Mark. no, no, it's okay. Yeah, there's there's so many colors, and maybe uh, I think that's part of the appeal for this. Is one, uh, everybody talks about comic book movies, comic book movies. This is 1980, and this is a film based off of a comic strip, so you can classify this as a comic book film. Oh yeah, and they didn't. I mean, they didn't really know how to do those yet. So, I mean, this film, a lot of people pick on it, and its cheesiness and its campiness, but uh, Glenn, wouldn't you say if this film came out now, this would be one of those where you would hear all kinds of things about it because of the all-star cast and the effects and the production and everything. I mean, they go all in, and for 1980, that was a bit unusual, I think. Uh, All all in is really kind of an understatement. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is, a huge, uh, this is a huge production for then. I mean, it was enormous. It was like $20 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they got this uh, international cast. It was Dino De Laurentiis, who didn't like to do anything small at this time. Uh, you know, we had just talked about the King Kong movie a few weeks ago. He, uh, he, he, got, he got all these people, bragged to all, about all the sets, bragged about the effects. And when they say music by Queen, I mean, don't think that, that – that's not like, you know, oh, yeah, there's, they got the soundtrack. That was the biggest band in the world <laughs> at that point. And they didn't do just like a song. They did the freaking soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, they did all of it. 
<laughs> they did the instrumentals and the vocals both, and that I love that. I love it because it kept it kept it with the same tone throughout this entire film by having them do that. Uh, and, and talking about the look of it as as a comic book movie, I love how in the intro there's there's all of the stills from the comic book, and then you go into the movie itself, and and it's all of these saturated reds and greens and blues, like it's this like those printed primary colors looking at the comic strip, and it just carries through that feel of just this this rich, vibrantly colored universe, and it was really a forerunner in that way of getting that feel across of comic books. I think. Yeah, it does it. Really, with the coloring and the color scheme and everything just popping out, uh, it does give that comic book scene. And, man, the, the sets that they have are pretty doggone elaborate, too, uh, for this. Uh, the production design in, in general for this film, for 1980, I mean, because we had gotten Empire Strikes Back, but you didn't get many films with this scale of production, did you, Glenn? No, not nothing like this. I mean, it it was just so. I mean, because you had so much, the costuming mm-hmm. alone was just insane. Because um, you had ev- all the different peoples of Mongo, and they all had their own unique looks and styles, and it was just so fascinating. And everything so bright and vibrant and colorful and alive. It's just, oh man, they don't <laughs> make them like that anymore. And Ming had a different costume every time he came out, and each one was more kick-ass than the last one. And yeah, it was just great. I, I personally loved the skull cap one that he had—the black skull cap when uh, they when they visit the Hawk World and they they blast it pretty much and and get Dale Arden back in that. I, I kind of liked that outfit that he had, and and his wedding, of course, his uh, wedding robe was pretty badass too. But yeah, now that you mentioned it, Jason, I didn't realize yeah, he does change wardrobe pretty much every scene. <laughs> He's got a different costume. Uh yeah, so uh, yeah, the scale of this production is just insane for nineteen eighty. Uh the look of it I and I love the look of it. It it reminded me a bit of the fifth element a bit, doesn't it, Don, as far as production and, and just the wild looks that you get? You know, in a way, but I was I was just thinking uh, after seeing it tonight, mm. um, it reminds, the, the costuming especially, um, reminded me more of a TV, uh, another based on comic book, if I'm not mistaken, although I could be mistaken, a TV series that was happening right about the same time, Buck Rogers and the 24th. 25th century yes mm-hmm. yep you get a lot of that same style and costuming with the especially the elaborate bling on all the women's and, and men's costuming for that matter all that satin yeah they loved satin back in the 80s yeah they did and and you but, mentioned oh go ahead yeah, a little bit of of the fifth element but uh again i was just thinking about all the different it, they really had a lot of that going on sorry i got distracted no, no, you're absolutely right, though, when you mentioned Buck Rogers, and I'm glad you did because I was trying to peg it because she, we, we get Dale Arden dressed up, and you've got the, uh, the uh, women, Mongo's, uh, uh, Ming's women, helping her get ready for the wedding and their outfits and everything. I'm like, why does that look familiar? And now that you mentioned Buck Rogers, which came, started at 79, yep. 
it it totally ripped off Buck Rogers as far as some of the looks go. And heck, even some of the the ship styles and everything. Now that you mention it, well, uh, well they, they all harken back from the same era, though. Too. Right. Mm-hmm. I think I yeah. think that the idea with Buck Rogers now Buck Rogers. Uh, Buck Rogers came out at the same time as Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Uh, Glenn A. Larson, uh, the executive producer on the on the TV shows, he had two big sci-fi pro- projects to capitalize on Star Wars. One was going to be serious like Star Wars, and one was going to be more trendy, which is kind of like more of like a disco thing. And Buck Rogers liked the disco thing. For I think there's some of that in the sets of uh, God. What was the guy's name? I just heard it on the extras. Danilo Donati mm-hmm. uh, on Flash Gordon. But I think that also a lot of the ships and everything like that. I think a lot of that. No, I think that harkened way back to what if we could take everything that was in the original serials mm-hmm. and in those comic strip pages and actually do it. Not do it in like a little tiny, so it looks tiny and you can tell, you can see the strings and everything, but no, let's actually do it. (laughs) And I think that that was what they were really going for. I think that the bleed over from uh, Buck Rogers was, since that show is almost off the air by the time this is coming out. I think that was kind of more just the influence of the era. Yeah, that, yeah, that does make sense that it would be the influence of the era, but they definitely rec- – I mean, if you look at the serial and you look at this film, uh, Jason, wouldn't you say they uh, – would you agree with Scott? They do replicate – they're really trying to replicate that serial quite a bit. I mean, especially the look of Ming and some of the aliens. Well- yeah, and 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 again, more even toward the original comic strip from you know mm-hmm. started in '34, or whatever. Alex Raymond's art. You look at Alex Raymond's art, and that's you know that's what's what's driving a lot of the the looks, the look of Ming and and the the Hawk people and the you know and the ships and and, and all that stuff. It, it's uh, it, it's coming a lot from Alex Raymond. And in this film, uh, I saw in the trivia that apparently Dino wanted to make Flash Gordon humorous, and they didn't want to do that. And they look back on it, apparently he commented in saying, uh, Lorenzo Semple Jr. said, uh, yeah, that was a terrible mistake trying to make it humorous, because they wanted to go for something dark and serious. And you can kind of see that creeping through in this film. Mark, wouldn't you say there's some dark moments actually in this film there are a few moments like uh at the end where they the uh, the tv screen uh the air traffic controller guys they rip out his eyes whatever like that uh that's you know it's slightly creepier moments in there uh and, and it sort of stands in contrast to all of the, the rest of the camp actually it, it's it's sort of strange they it's like you could tell they were going for comedy at one point but they got to a certain point and they sort of stopped. So it's sort of midway between the two worlds. Well, yeah. I mean, especially when you get to the prove yourself a man with Timothy Dalton. Yeah, this cast is so impressive. Timothy Dalton as Prince Baron. Uh, Flash gets helped by uh, Ming's daughter, uh, played by Ornella Muti, who actually does a lot better in this film than you think she would when you first are introduced to her character. But... Uh, she takes them to this, this forest planet, and they have this thing where they stick their arm down this wooden stump, and there's a poisonous scorpion creature bubble thing in there. And you've got to guess which hole you put your arm down in, and if you get hit, 
you die. If you don't get hit like three times, I think, uh, you're a man, and you you lose all your hearts. You lose all your hearts. That so totally looks like Zelda through there. <laughs> but man, Scott, isn't that scene? That scene's rather dark suddenly for this film that you get the flash ah uh, music and that, and all of a sudden you get this. It scared me when I was a kid, but I think that you needed some of those parts that uh, kind of showed the stakes of it if you were to not – because you can – it's hard to I, – I, 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 when I was a kid, that, that spooked me out and stuff, and I'm sure that when I was younger, I wasn't sure how to take it. Watching it again this time, I'm like, you know, you kind of need a few moments like that. You can think the movie is, like, light and fluffy, but if you don't – if but if you – don't take the struggle seriously. If you don't take like the situation that these people are in uh, seriously to a s- slight extent, at least to be with Flash and all these people who are suffering under Ming's rule, then you're going to yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna really react. You're not gonna be able to uh, react well to it. You're not gonna be able to relate. And I think that what the what that thing did is it showed the savagery of the culture that they needed to live with. Well, yeah, and you don't just get that. I mean, right in the beginning, the throne room, Ming has a guy throw himself upon his sword because he can't donate. And, I mean, there's nothing held to mystery. He is stabbed, and you see his blue blood on the sword. Then, you know, we get uh, later on. That was was, was such bullshit, too, because, I mean, like, oh, my God, even... Even in another fucking galaxy, the black dude dies first. I mean, come on, man. That's just not cool. It's like you got, like, every single, like, white European in this movie, and then all of a sudden, oh, black guys will say, throw yourself on your sword. We're not, we're having none of that, sir. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, we we have that. You know, uh, uh, Aurora, uh, Aura gets tortured like the boar worms. The, the boar worms, you know, you get uh, when Clytus gets tossed on the spikes. I mean, that that scene for me creeped me the hell out. Glenn, how about you? I mean, where his, oh, where his eyes, eyes come falling out of his face? Yeah. Oh, man. You know, Nine year old me thought that was pretty freaking wicked, man. <laughs> That 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 scene scared me. That and I have to admit, I know they look cheesy now, but Don the reptilian guys. Oh, the lizard men. Those lizard men. Aren't those freaking creepy? <laughs> Did you find For a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons. Uh Don, what what about you? Did you find uh, anything particularly creepy in this film? You know, what I found really creepy was that um after uh the Baron and Flash have their little thing by uh, mm-hmm. where he Flash pretends to get stung, and then he falls into the quicksand and pulls himself out, and he's laying there, and this thing just comes up and swallows him whole. That's the part that freaked me out. Yeah, that thing. Oh, yeah. that yeah, the the ground. <laughs> yeah. That was... that, that's the one, Glenn. You betcha. Yep. <laughs> the ground crab thing that's trying to stuff him in that. Yeah, his belly. That yeah, that was creepy. How about you, Jason? Was there a scene in particular that stood out for you as particularly creepy? Was it that one or a different one? Oh, that whole uh, that whole initiation right thing with the stump and the wood beast, and and then that yeah, bog crab or whatever it was, and the and the like you mentioned, the Clytus with his eyes coming out, and you know that's the kind of stuff that I think really kind of put it over the top for me, particularly when I was a kid because. 
you know, it could have been all bright and flashy and light and kind of bouncy and, and it was in some parts, but then it wasn't afraid to go somewhere where certainly the 10 year old me was just really scared and creeped out. And, you know, those particular uh, scenes that we mentioned and actually in watching it again, I, I just, I love all of that stuff. I, it's just really, it's really great. And there's a nice counterpoint to, you know, the, the, brightness of, mm-hmm. of the of the colors and everything. So Yeah, you can definitely see where they wanted to go darker. Uh, Mark, what about you? Uh, any creepy scene besides the ones we mentioned, or are those uh, pretty much the creepy points? I think they would uh, pretty much cover the creepy ones. Oh, what was the other one? The uh, the general disback Warwalk is Ajak, whatever her name oh, was. Oh, her, um, yeah. Yeah, Allah. She, yeah, Allah, when she dissolves at the end and yeah. leaks. On the, that was the uh, one of the other ones in there as well. Oh, she turns into the black oil, which yes. melts. Yeah. Oh, and the, the guys in the red costumes that when you kill them, they make that noise. Yeah. That, that, was, that was a creepy, weird noise, too. That And you never see their face, so you know they're just disgusting under there. I always wondered if that, because a few years later, like three years later, Crawl came out. Yeah. Remember there was that, they, very similar when you killed one of the Slayers. Yes. I was yeah, that same noise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about you, Scott? Uh, were the, have we touched on the creepy points, or was there any part in particular? Oh, I think was... we have. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that there's... I think all the bits... It, what gets me is that I will mention is that, because you mentioned the lizard men, it's, it's kind of funny how many things you look at as being legitimately creepy, and how many things are creepy precisely because they look kind of silly. <laughs> and I think the lizard men that's straight out of I mean that those costumes you get at Party City uh, <laughs> and on on clearance you know and uh, I think like I think the same thing with the big bog monster there too I think that that's I mean what is it it's a big swamp bubble he's mm-hmm. getting eaten by you know and uh, so I think I mean it looks silly but at the same time you're like geez <laughs> but in all honesty for me even though I, all those things creeped me out the one that actually was kind of disturbing is and Topol sells it so well they have a Dr. No moment where they strap Topol's Dr. Zarkov to a table to reprogram him and they shoot this laser into his brain basically and wipe his memory and we see his memories as they're being white. And for me, I just watched it going, man, did this film just take a turn. <laughs> I mean, because you're watching him and he, he's been through World War II and, you know, the, the Holocaust and all that. And you're just watching that. And that's kind of a scary idea of someone wiping your identity. Um, and for me, I think that, that bugged me just as much as all the other ones. Uh, just that thought. Doesn't that yeah. also help illustrate why, even with also with his scientific knowledge, why he was so fanatical of, as soon as he sees that, oh, this th- this is is an actual invasion and this is a tyrant here. Why he took such a um, initiative mm-hmm. to stop Ming the Merciless because he's seen Ming the Merciless before. Right. Because yeah. he's at because he lost practically his whole family in 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 uh, under the Nazis. So I thought I thought that was a nice touch. 
One oh, of those touches yeah. you don't quite get as a kid, and then, you make, <laughs> and then you connect the dots as you're older. You know. So we've mentioned we mentioned this great cast. Uh, there's also should be mentioned Richard O'Brien uh, <laughs> is in here. In, in the, he's the swamp guy, I believe, that plays the flute, isn't he? Fico. Yep. 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 Yeah, it, it, the guy who, when I was a kid, I always thought looked a bit like uh, Paul Schaefer. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just you know, playing you some swans there, Dave. Do, 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 do. <laughs> but, but when, when I saw him because of the bald hair, and you know, he had the—he looked kind of like Paul Schaefer. So that, oh, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, "What's Paul Schaefer doing in here?" And they're like, "No, no, wait, that's that." That's not Paul. Uh, <laughs> so you've got this great cast in here, and uh, I know we mentioned Sam Jones, but his acting isn't great, but it kind of suits the rest of the – his Flash Gordon, I think, suits the rest of the film. Uh, and then Dale Arden, the reason I, I bring her up again, Melody Anderson, is because when, when we get to the throne room scene – Folks, this is a PG film, and man, it starts a trend of a number of rather sexually charged moments in this. Scott, wouldn't you say that this film has a, a lot of those sexual uh, uh, undertones and overtones in this film? I would say so. I'd say some uh, a bit with the Melody Anderson character and a lot with the Ornella Muti character, who is like, you know, when we first see her, I mean... Gosh, I mean, she's like what, like you know, ten percent costume and ninety percent skin, <laughs> and she's like totally like slutty and everything. Like this, this big slut bomb who's like using this guy and using this guy. And yeah, sometimes they get executed, but I'm a spoiled little girl who's going to get like what, like seek my pleasure. You know, we we talked about Lorenzo Semple Jr. wrote this movie, and um, he doesn't take fantasy things too seriously and this is the one at time when I think that really worked mm-hmm. uh, we mentioned uh, one. if you remember from our King Kong uh, conversation one of the things I really had against that film was how sexist it was sure uh, and how they I thought they put like oh, every negative female stereotype into the one female character they had in the movie um you get that kind of a bit here too. You don't take it as personally because it's uh, uh, because for one thing, both of the women do actually kind of grow up and start kicking ass in their own right <laughs> later on in the film, and that's I mean that's that's a nice surprise. Uh, for another thing, yeah, there's like sexy stuff. You know, yeah, it's PG, guys. And it's when we would be PG-13 today. Because why? Because, oh, because it's so sexual? No, because you know what? They didn't treat us like we were a bunch of pussies back then. <laughs> the MPI, I'm sorry. The MPI, I have no dog in this fight. I don't care if a film is rated G or NC-17. I get to see whatever I want. I'm an adult. But I do, but I do think that um, the fact that today we every animated film is PG. Like almost no film is rated G. Uh, and if you have a blockbuster, it's a, by default PG-13, even if there's really nothing that objectionable in it. Uh, I think that they kind of coddle the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, 12-year-olds in the audience that were like, ooh, this is helping my puberty along nicely. Thank you very much, Didoni <laughs> Laurentiis. 
<laughs> and you know, and I think the negative uh, aspects of that were nil. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I think I think they were I think they were as uh, non-existent as uh, in the '40s when uh, Tarzan and Jane were swinging around the jungle together. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, like I, I'm like, yeah, it's in there, and. It's it actually helps the story along and it's fun and I think it's there's it is it shows how harmless the whole thing is I think. Well, the, you mentioned the, the female characters do grow through this and they are kind of show how they're pulling the strings uh, in a different way, not necessarily in yes. the way we might be used to. But yeah, Don, I was going to ask you, they, these women they are actually manipulating. I mean, all three. Yeah, I would not. Yes, they grow, but I certainly would not say that either of them is either particularly weak or mature at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. It's very clear, especially with um, uh, Princess Aura character. Um, she's she's watching. She knows how people view her because she knows how her father views her. Women are sex toys. She knows this. She's aware of it. The way she looks around is calculating um, not fearful. She shows it off and uses it to exploit the weaknesses of the men around her. Sex is a tool. She uses it. It's very clear. Mm-hmm. I would certainly not say that she is uh, victimized in any way. I mean, until she's tortured for information. Well, yeah. Right. But I certainly would. Uh, that character is not a victim. She uses the tools that she has to get anything she wants. Oh, absolutely. I, I, and I, and I wasn't trying to suggest that. That I was just saying that she is rather more selfish in the beginning, and then you, and then kind of grows to use the uh, her, her power, what, whatever power she has, in order to you know fight for something a little more righteous. Well, it makes you wonder though if maybe in the beginning we're we're led her to we're led to believe she's a selfish uh, Ming brat so to speak because that's the mask she puts on for everyone it's you possible know? no okay, i don't think it's the not. mask she is a selfish little <laughs> <laughs> because her, her only awakening is when she finally sees that not even she is safe from her father mhm yep she really is merciless right um you know it's not until not until Clytus puts the boar worms on her that she has her little awakening like oh shit Damn, that's not cool. How many people have I had this done to? Because I just want a little, you know, eh, eh, eh. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we've touched on a number of things, but I always love to have our guests bring a topic or a question they want to pose to the uh, crew here. So if we haven't touched on it already... Uh, Jason, let's start with you. Do you have a specific character, topic, or, or question that you might have for the group that we might not have touched on? Well, I just want to call out that uh, any fan of this movie that has not seen Ted should mm-hmm. see Ted. And I don't. I, I assume you all know what I'm talking about. They yeah. should or should not. They should. They should. Okay. I just I just love the inclusion of that the, in in that movie. I saw this movie opening – oh, I saw Ted, rather, opening day, and I went with my friends to see this movie. That I, I had mentioned these people on the show before because I can't get them into any of my 
uh, older movies from like the 80s or anything like that because they're like eight years – they're not that much younger. They're like eight years younger than me, so they're like early 30s. But when they saw this, all the Flash Gordon stuff came on, and I was howling. I was laughing my <laughs> ass off. And they were silent during all of that. They were silent during – I mean they loved everything else, and they were silent during all those scenes. And I, so I'm cracking up when I see, like, Sam Jones, like, kind of brushing his nose, saying, so you guys like to party? <laughs> I'm just laughing. And, and, and uh, the uh, – and I get, we get out of the movie, and I'm loving the movie. And he, he, says, he says, yeah, one thing. Who the hell's Flash Gordon? Oh. I'm like, oh man, I gotta show you this movie. And he, they said, no, I don't like your movies. Uh, these are the same people I showed Big Trouble in Little China to, and they hated it. So, uh, I know, right? Scott, <laughs> Scott, you're no longer allowed to be friends with these people. <laughs> I debated myself, but they're we good. Forbidden. They're good people deep down. You know, they're just misguided. <laughs> <laughs> Don, have you seen Ted, and, and did you enjoy those scenes? You know, I have not seen Ted yet. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very much stuck in my indie B-grade movies. Mm-hmm. I, it is on my to-watch list. I intend to watch it. But um, because I work with a lot of younger, um, younger people, uh, every time I bring up Flash Gordon... <laughs> Uh, they they give me this look and they say, "You ever seen Ted?" Then they look at me, "Yeah, that's the guy." Oh, I know who you mean. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn, what about you? Have you seen Ted? I have. <laughs> What'd you think of the Flash Gordon scenes? Those were funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a big. Um, Seth MacFarlane fan. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that is who that is, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where I shouldn't say I'm not. I used to be, but he's devolved more into just the. I'm not going to use humor to you know for the for a point of the story. I'm just going to see how many people can I just shit on. <laughs> um, is kind of how I interpret most of his quote unquote humor now. Is just the. How can I make fun of mentally handicapped people? How can I make fun of fat people? How can, and it's not even – it's more just humor for the point of being offensive other than to actually do anything else. Sure. So I don't find him all that funny. Um, but, yes, the Sam Jones stuff was clever and cute and funny and hooray. <laughs> Mark, have you seen Ted? No. No, so well, no, <laughs> but I, should, I think by this point, I, yeah, I I should have too, and I I haven't, in all honesty. Uh, the first one is good, the second one not so much. I just <laughs> again, just kind of like Glenn, one uh, Seth MacFarlane, and two modern comedies, even more so than modern horror, are a really hard sell for me nowadays. And uh, especially if uh, all of us growing up in the '80s know there was a golden age for comedy, uh, and that was kind of it uh, <laughs> for for a lot of comedy films and parody and such so and stand up in general too uh, so you know modern comedy is a little hard sell for me but I, I I've been tempted to see it specifically for the Sam Jones scenes because I've seen clips and such and I'm like 
There is now a Blu-ray. Get off my lawn, moment has been brought to you by Mark Crutcher. <laughs> there, 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 there is a Blu-ray Blu set out there. If you don't have Flash Gordon on Blu-ray for some unexplained reason, there is now a Blu-ray set that has Ted, Ted 2, and Flash Gordon on it. Yep, <laughs> I, I, it's like uh, Ted, Ted versus Flash Gordon or something. Yeah, and it has, and, and so it has all those three movies, and it's. Uh, only like, and sometimes you can see it at Amazon for like twenty-five bucks, which isn't bad for three movies. No, that isn't. Is so. there Flash Gordon stuff in the second Ted? There, uh, yeah, not, well, not so much the homages to to Flash Gordon, but Sam Jones is in the second Flash Gordon, uh, specifically like in the first half or first third of the movie. It's it's not it's not as Satisfying. All right. <laughs> I'm not gonna say what's what what's with the characters and everything. Yeah. It's not as satisfying though. I will say right. that. So there you go, folks. If you have seen Ted and that old guy on the rocket cycle, that was Sam Jones and Flash Gordon. And I, I like Sam Jones. You know, I like Sam Jones in this movie. Uh, Sam Jones and Melody Anderson, who I always thought were like the weak links in this movie, uh, and er, years earlier. I'm watching this now. I'm like, you know what? And, you know, let's face it, we've seen them in other movies where they didn't maybe do quite as well. Although I've seen them both do well in other movies as well. So, you know, I've, mm -hmm. seen, I've seen both sides of them. So I'm not saying that they're not good actors. Um, but um, the uh, – I think for the material, I'm like, you know, you know what? I can't imagine how else you could play Flash Gordon and have it work this well. I can't imagine how else you would play Dale Arden and have it work this well you know, given what the material is, given what their surroundings are, I think that everybody kind of nails it in this movie. Oh, you know, yeah. whether they're doing that or, you know, the great Brian, Brian Blessed or Timothy Dalton <laughs> or uh, anybody else in this movie, really. Max <laughs> von Sydow, who is just one of the greatest villains ever in this movie. Yeah. The, the the material is definitely best served by either completely underacting it, the uh, the two by four method, or completely overacting it. There is no middle ground. <laughs> there there was no middle ground with it. Yeah, and Flash Gordon overacted it. Sam Jones did, but it, it fit the f the film. You you can yeah. tell. Yeah, it is it is the material because. Yeah, I mean, and even Sam Jones. I mean, this is not even the only overly campy comic book movie he was in. He was in a movie five years later called Jane in the Lost City. It's not that good. <laughs> if there's a reason why we're not doing a milestone episode on that movie. <laughs> so uh, excellent uh, comment there, uh, Jason. For you younger folks out there, that guy in Ted that they make reference to, that's Sam Jones and that's Flash Gordon, and that's the film we're talking about tonight. Uh, so excellent. Uh, Mark, Mr. Wolderidge, how about you? Do you have a topic or something that you wanted to bring up? I think I know what it might be related to. Well, uh, actually, I, I'm going to surprise you here, and I'm not going to talk about the soundtrack. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> the, the, the one thing that I was thinking about that sort of was impressive, thinking about the time that it was. You were talking about 1980 and how Star Wars had taken over over the world at that point. The, the pair of big brass ones that Dino DeLaurentiis had to bring this particular vision to movie theaters at that time. Uh, these, this movie, this is the, the space epic, which is the anti-Star Wars, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And and just putting this one out where this, this brightly, this acid trip colored, 
brightly colored, crazily overacted, funny, scary, whatever kind of movie that this is, and, and putting that one out there on offer as well. And it's just impressive that to go into that market and mindset at the time and, and move forward with that vision. And that's... Yeah, like tilting at windmills perhaps a little, a little bit to be able to, to go forward like that. But that kind of drive and artistic vision, that's something to strive for. <laughs> it, it was kind of bold considering by now you've also got Empire Strikes Back having come out. I do believe uh, it came out by then. So yeah, It came out in May of that year, yeah. So to do a scale like this, yeah, Jason, would you say that that's pretty. This film was pretty bold for its time to try to attempt to do. Absolutely, and I think the the term anti Star Wars is is kind of hits it right on the head. Um, yeah, it's a space opera or space adventure, but that's pretty much where the similarities stop. And as far as you know, tone and and how everything is handled. Um, I know the uh, uh, listening to the special features on the Blu-ray. Um, Lorenzo Semple Jr. made the comment that you know the movie was never intended to be anything more than fun, and I think that's you know it's not trying to be deep or serious or you know realistic or anything. It, its sole purpose is to be fun, and it succeeds wonderfully. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, Don. How about you? Do you agree? Bold for 1980. Especially, uh, yes, especially, and I've read so much on Flash Gordon the last couple weeks. I can't remember where I read this little bit, and I'd love it if somebody could confirm it. Um, Especially since George Lucas had been interested in making a Flash Gordon film, and when he was denied the rights to it, Mm -hmm. he went on to make Star Wars. So, yeah, very bold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, that is in, in trivia for it, is that uh, he wanted to make a modern version of it, but uh, the rights were too expensive because King Features wanted to sell them to Federico Fellini, who was uh, optioning them at the time, so he wrote A New Hope. <laughs> and, and did you catch one of the uh, one of the little pet characters in, <laughs> yep. the, yeah, yeah. in the throne room scene was named Fellini? Just come along, <laughs> Fellini. Yep. I laughed so hard because the whole set looks like a Fellini set. And the dwarf <laughs> looks like it belongs on a Fellini thing. <laughs> so, Glenn, would you say bold for 80? Oh, I, I, bold just in general. Um, mm-hmm. Just because of... of the subject matter, you know, what it is, being Flash Gordon, and, and just uh, how big it is. It's just bold in general. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's also, that's, you know, that's what Dino did. Right. And I, I think Scott mentioned that, too, is that, that it, he didn't do anything small back then. <laughs> no. I mean, figure, I mean, what, you know, a year and a half after this, he does uh, Conan. Oh, yeah, that's yep. right. Conan was after this. <laughs> So, yeah, this was back, folks, when they actually had a little bit of time between films that were made. <laughs> well, Dino always had his hand in something, you know, and he always had, like, about three or four films going, but he always had something huge at one point. And he he didn't like to do too many small films. He really threw all his weight behind him. And, uh, it, you know, and, and that culminated in the... Uh, 
you know, so he did this, then he did Conan, and, you know, those offshoots, then he did Dune. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, he tried to open up his own studio, which unfortunately didn't fare too well. And, uh, you know, so he just, he all, he all, he was one of those uh, uh, big, he was a, you know, he's exactly what you would imagine he is from his name. <laughs> Being at the beginning of every film, Dino De Laurentiis presents. Well, what do you expect? You expect a big, boisterous, bigger-than-life Italian producer, and that's exactly what this guy was. He's like, yes, we make a movie. <laughs> that was him all over, you know? So, uh, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, he would surprise everybody by investing in smaller things like Blue Velvet mm-hmm. and everything like that. But every single thing he did, uh, there was even the small things had something big behind it. Yeah, and, and and that's, you know, it, this is a huge scope. I mean, this film, even for today, if you look at the caliber of actors they had, the production design and everything, this would be a big scope even for today, mm-hmm. the type of film it was, I think. Um, only instead of all the practical, fun Mongo uh, sets, we would have CGI. So <laughs> Yeah. I gotta say, every time I hear Mongo, I I I have to say Mongo only pawn. <laughs> <laughs> I I know. I, nice. <laughs> can't help but think of Blazing Saddles whenever I hear Mongo. Yep. But uh, Scotty D, how about you? Do you have a question, topic, or something we haven't touched that you might want to ask? I do. It's kind of a, you know how I do my like my weird vague questions, uh, what? and and it's 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 very actually very much in tune to uh, Mark's question there. Uh, I was thinking about this and I was listening to everybody talk and everything about the how this is a film where it's it's very bright and it has all these vintage models and it straddles um, it straddles that. Uh, campiness all throughout it, but it never becomes a spoof. That's important. It never becomes a, a flat-out spoof. Uh, we've had some things like that over the years since. You know, Dick Tracy, I, I could argue, I think kind of went in that direction. Uh, Fifth Element, you mentioned, Mark, uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't had something like that for a long while. Though I don't mm-hmm. think like I don't know if we've had I don't want to say we haven't had one this century, but it certainly seems like it's been an awful long while. I do, I think um, do you think that something and this, it's important to note that this film was not well received in America when it came out. It didn't no. do that good in America. It did really well in Europe, not well in America. Um, but do you think a film? that did that, that had kind of a, a throwback feel in the sets and the des- character design and was going just purely for camp and brightness and fun, do you think a film like that could be accepted today? And, or what do you think it would take to get something like that accepted Ooh. today? Oh, good question. Uh, Glenn, how about you? Uh, w- do you think they, they'd be able to do a, a film again? I mean, they're talking about a remake in this thing, God help us, but uh, they're talking about remaking. Could you do a film like this, and could you market it? <laughs> I don't know. Um, possibly, I, it'd be it'd be a hard. They'd have they would turn it into a much more of a grittier, you know, actiony type movie. I think. Um, 
because I mean I'm trying to even think of, of someone I would trust with the material, but it would almost become too surreal. Because a person who I think could have who who could have an eye for it, but it would just end up being an off the wall bizarre thing. Would be I would love to I in my mind I would love to see a Wes Anderson presents Flash Gordon. Um, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think some of this could I don't think it would really work. At least not like this. Like I said, they would, you know, they would Michael Bay it up. Mm-hmm. You know what Flash Gordon needed was more explosions, more explosions, and maybe a more hot hail. <laughs> more hot hail. We don't have enough hot hail here. Hot hail. <laughs> hot hail. <laughs> okay, thank you. Now I've got Christopher Walken asking for more cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> more. Hot hail. <laughs> that's, 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 that's where my head is now. Clytus. I'm bored. <laughs> bored. What plaything you got for me today? <laughs> oh, God. Now I've got Christopher Walken as Ming. <laughs> the film has a whole, whole different and, approach now. And you know, I'm not even sorry. I know, I, I know you're not. Thank you. Well, since you did that, Doug, do you think a film like this, or I mean, he mentioned it, Fifth Element, and that we haven't really gotten an off-the-wall kind of serious, fun film like this, have we, for a while? I, yeah, I was just, I was really trying to brainstorm. Um, I'm... No, we haven't, and I'm not sure that we could get one currently mm-hmm. from, from the current uh, environment in Hollywood. It would have to be indie. Mm-hmm. Um, Foreign. I w- I, you know, I would um, I, I'd say the closest, most outrageous thing, but it, it, not with the grandiose, outrageous costuming. I'd say the closest we've gotten the last... God, it can't even be the few years. i got to look at the date on this one. <laughs> Don't steal my I, thunder, Don. You're not going to say what I'm going to say. I, hope, I, I really don't think so, because I'm in a human centipede place. No, it's really not. But as far as something, <laughs> as far as something shocking and outrageous, I... I Words I never thought I'd hear to say. I'm I'm in a human centipede place right now. <laughs> I did not mean for it to come is that, is that is that is that like the new like emotion that you can put on Facebook? Feeling happy, sad, human centipede. That, the front that of would the human be a very interesting emocon. <laughs> just see like just see like three three that's where everyone on the bus hears that and moves to different spots in the bus. There. Okay. Oh my God. What, what, what film were you thinking of, daughter? Or have we ruined? No, it? I, you know, I was just I I finally got around to watching um, Human Centipede three, and I'm like, sure. this is the most outrageous. It, it it's not it's. It's not. It's not fun though. It's that was kind not. of more. That was a very mean spirited movie. At least I thought. So. Yes, I mean, it is. It was very mean spirited, and that's exactly and that's exactly the difference. Anything that I can think of um, that's as outrageous 
does tend more toward the mean-spirited, um, dark, violent, as opposed to campy, fun. Sure. Like, like, uh, and the fifth element is an excellent correlation to that. Um, you've got the crazy costumes, crazy settings, um, all, all the crazy, and in a positive, wonderful way that people mm-hmm. like. See, yeah, Glenn, Glenn said foreign film, which made me think Flash Gordon, Bollywood. That would be <laughs> Flash Gordon, Bollywood. Ooh, yeah, Bollywood movies been... actually would be like a lot like this, you know, because the only when he said With foreign, actually, and when he said foreign, actually, uh, I thought of uh, I'm going to out myself here by admitting that I had not actually seen the movie. Hmm. But from what I've seen of it, I thought Kung Fu Hustle. Oh yes, yeah. Kung Fu Hustle is that is an excellent one where it's a fun throwback, not mean spirited. I love Kung Fu. Actually, I love everything by them. Uh, you know, Kung Fu Hustle, Shaolin Soccer, <laughs> all great of those. Stuff. Huh? Yeah, it's great stuff. That that's all great stuff. That's fun and kind of throwback, uh, but not mean spirited at all. So. Yeah, uh, that's a definite good example. Jason, how about you, uh, re- real quick here? Uh, do you think uh, we get movies still like Flash Gordon or Fifth Element nowadays well, and we could market them? Yeah, where my mind went to, uh, Scott, when you first started <laughs> phrasing your question was um, something actually relatively recently, uh, which was actually a humongous failure, but it was based on... Uh, Newspaper comic strip for a source material was uh, Frank Miller's The Spirit. Oh, um, yeah. You know, that Sam was. Jones was in The Spirit, wasn't he? I don't think so, but I. He was in the TV show. No, he was in the. He was in the. Here in the. He was in the pilot, though. The pilot from 1987. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, they did not the not the not the Frank Miller version, but he okay. was in, but he did star in a 90-minute uh, TV movie that was a pi- unsold pilot. Uh, from 1987 of the Spirit, I actually have that. That's great. But sorry, go back, go back to Frank Miller's The Spirit because I that's yes, one, one of the because I'm one of the few people who likes that movie. Well, <laughs> so, so I actually um, in kind of in researching this movie and thinking about you know movies based on uh, comic strips or source material, I had not seen The Spirit, and I'd heard such awful things about it, and uh, so I watched it. Uh, last week or something like that and um i was quite disappointed uh, i i it Aww. wasn't it wasn't um it wasn't i don't think as bad as everybody says it is or was but um you know i guess i would call that out is i think that's what you know frank miller tried to do something bold and different and and campy but but not uh, you know it just mm-hmm. to me it, it it didn't quite uh hit. It didn't quite it, work for me. It, it's a tough movie to wrap your head around. I think a lot of people went to see that movie expecting another Sin City, and it's kind of done in a similar style, but as, as far as, like, visually. But, right, uh, right. but tonally, it's completely different, and it, it's got very camp, and it's also got, like, a lot of noir elements, because how basically the whole thing is uh, is strung together by the women in his life, oh, yeah. including, it, including death. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it, it, there's there's some great stuff in it, and it's beautiful. But to me, 
you know, when in Flash, when they were saying all those cheesy lines, and, oh, and, and there's great actors in both Flash Gordon and the Spirit, but when, when in Flash Gordon, when the actors are saying those cheesy lines, they work and you buy into it and they're great and, and they just, and to me, um, the, the cheesy, the, the script, it was just, it was just awful. And, and to me, the, the actors didn't sell it. It, it didn't, well, to, to I, me, I, it, I it, can see that. It totally fell flat, and um, it, when it tried to be funny, it, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It just, it yeah. It, un, I guess I would recommend watching it once with low expectations, but I, I was absolutely disappointed. But I, I would kind of put it in the same category, you know, as a Flash Gordon as far as what it was trying to do. Sure. Well, I think that, and I think that uh, not to spend like all the time on this, but I mean, I think that the, a, a difference between Flash Gordon and the Spirit also is that a lot of, I don't know, I don't know if it was because it was shot on green screen with modern stuff, and that's the way they make movies now and stuff, but a lot of the people there didn't seem to know what they were doing there, in that movie. Yeah. Uh, I will say that. And so, and there seemed to be a very much a lack of interaction between the actors. This one Good guys, bad guys, everyone is interacting. Everyone is, I mean, everybody, we're all in this crazy boat together. This this crazy, technicolored cruise ship. We're sailing this sucker right for Valhalla, man. And, uh, I, and I think that that really plays through in Flash Gordon, and I think that there was a disconnect in the spirit. I will say that. Yeah. And Mark, how about you, real quick? Uh, there film or something that comes to mind that maybe, you know, matches this or that do you think they could still make something like this and have it work you know thinking about how sort of risk averse major studios are it something like this which is different from the typical you know sort of norm a little bit you know it's subtle but not uh, in a strange sort of way i'm not certain that if it got made it wouldn't be this and which means it could necessarily be made. I don't know. I just talked into a circle there. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, this particular sort of thing is sort of something of its time, and I don't think we'll be seeing something like this, at least not something from majors anytime soon. Right, and I agree. I mean, even when, you know, it was like when Fifth Element came out, uh, that surprised me that that film got released. But both, if you notice... Uh, and it's not just because of the actors in it, but are both very European uh, in oh, their yeah. feels. You, you know, they are different than American films. Uh, actually, Don just mentioned it in, in chat, and I have to bring it up. Turbo Kid is close. It it is pretty off the wall, uh, but it it does. Uh, yeah, I would say that's close to a a, a Flash Gordon feel possibly what I was going to say real quick here because uh, I know we're going a little late here but I was going to say Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow mm-hmm. yeah. that's a good one that's a good one that, uh, yeah actually mm-hmm. I would say and I love you, that movie too <laughs> if you had a film that was close to the spirit and the feel of Flash Gordon even though that one was a lot of CGI uh Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow is definitely a different film. Uh, it's a definitely one that, that goes, I think, kind of all in. And in that one, you do have the performers who 
you know, they're sold on this, you can tell. And and you got some fairly big names in there, Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, and, uh, you know, uh, Angelina Jolie in there. And I thought it was ambitious and a risk uh, for a studio to wide release that. And it, it actually got decent reviews, too. Decent uh, reviews, zero box office. <laughs> yeah. It, it was another one of those that was a hit with critics, and critics kind of got it, and uh, audiences were like, no. But that's the case with this too. On the and on mm-hmm. the DVD ex, on the Blu-ray extras, there uh, they have an interview with Lorenzo Semple Jr. Uh, before he passed away, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know they didn't go afterwards. But I mean, but um, <laughs> he but and he said he says yes, it's a and he talked about how it was did really well in Europe. He says and now it's going to be a cult classic in. America, but see, that's the whole thing about cult classic. It's a cult, which means that not a lot of people are there buying the tickets. <laughs> nice. So, excellent question here, Scott. Uh, Glenn, how about you? Do you have a topic or question we haven't touched on yet that you might want to bring up quick? Well, I mean, I had some stuff, but I mean, we've pretty much touched on everything. Sure. Um, I mean, this is just, I mean, it's. I could I could gush about this movie for days because this is one of my favorite movies uh, of my childhood and it's carried over where it's just it, it's such a nostalgia piece for me and it's I have always loved just you know the exotic out of you know out of the ordinary you know kind of fantastical worlds and stuff like that and this just you know hits every you know, ticks every box for me as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just such. It's an experience. <laughs> it is, and I mean, I can, I can totally understand uh, younger people, a lot of younger people, or just you know anyone who didn't grow up with this, not liking it. I can totally understand that because it's not your typical movie in any way, shape, or form. No. Um, it is even for eighty. It wasn't exactly your typical movie. Yeah, it's it's just it's completely different than everything else that's out there. And yeah, I mean, yeah, as we said, there's a couple that have that kind of grand, you know, otherworldly feel. But I don't think anything really is quite like this. At least not for me. Nothing is quite like this. Well, in the film, this film, I don't think, and I can, like you mentioned, I can see where it doesn't appeal to to possibly modern audiences and it that by no mean am I saying anything bad about modern audiences, just the simple fact of how Hollywood has kind of nurtured our new audience. Flash Gordon doesn't hold your hand on anything. It it sticks you in this world and you don't really get a whole lot of explanation <laughs> just about not that you need it. I mean there's bad guys, there's good guys, there you go. But you know, I don't know, I get the feeling that they would have to go and explain so much more or feel like they need to because Hollywood doesn't give the audience enough credit to where well, we would need to have the Flash Gordon origin story first. Well, yeah. You know, seeing him get drafted by the New York Jets. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's an experience an unusual film. Um, Don, how about you? Did you have a topic or something we haven't talked on already that you might want to mention to the group or bring up with the group? I really don't. I mean, there's random <laughs> trivia of interest that, no, I really don't have anything. Well, we've covered uh, quite a bit with this film. 
Uh, and as everyone here can tell, I, I'm sure that uh, we all enjoy it. And for me, it's not just a nostalgia thing, especially since I showed it to my kids and they both dug it, which made me feel good. Because I felt bad that, you know, I show it to them and they're going to say, gee, Dad, that was great. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but they, they totally dug it. And, and I like that. Uh, you know, that, that made me feel kind of cool that I was able to introduce them to something. That here's a film from 1980, which, by the way, folks, that Blu-ray, you've got to see it on the Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. First off, it's in widescreen, which uh, when you watch this film enough, you notice things differently in widescreen, like the throne room with the extra statues on either side. I, first time I watched this on Blu-ray, I was like, wait, I don't remember seeing that or that. What are those banners? It's like... But the Blu-ray is fantastic, and the colors pop. Check out that rock-ass soundtrack. Oh, uh, you know, it, there's it, that entrance. Well, I don't, before we go, I mean, seriously, yes. they get you into the movie right away because you have the pre-credit sequence. You don't see anybody. Uh, that opening credit sequence, everything, I mean, it just shows how everything plays in there. You have the uh, awesome Queen theme song. Dun, 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 and it really pumps you up. I mean, because it just keeps on doing flash, ah, and but it keeps going dun, 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 throughout the opening credits. You have the editing, you have the comic strips, you have it creates such an energy, and that soundtrack totally helps sell that energy throughout the whole movie. And that's the funny thing is that you know. Queen, biggest band in the world at the time. Man, they attached themselves to some quirky projects uh, between Flash Gordon and Highlander. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because Highlander was the only other soundtrack, I think, that they fully did. Yeah. Um, and well, Highlander... Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right, because they did the whole... Yep. They, album, they? they did yeah. the full soundtrack to Highlander, and they did the full soundtrack to this, and both are excellent soundtracks in their own right. I used to torture my uh, best friend of many years since I've known in middle school with Flash Gordon because he does not like that theme song whatsoever. Oh, uh, you talk about my friends. I just have to share really quick. We were in college. And we had the lofted beds, and he had the CD player and stereo, and it was right underneath his bed. So me, being the good friend and roommate that I was on a Saturday morning, I got up early for the hell of it. It was about 6, 7 o'clock. I put in Flash Gordon. I cranked the dial to 11. <laughs> I queued it up. I pressed play and ran out the door. <laughs> the swear words and screaming and scrambling as he tried to turn off the flash ah, were so worth it. <laughs> and we're, we're still friends today, but I just remember hearing him going, God, fuck Mark, God, and he's scrambling, reaching underneath, trying to turn his radio off. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this this soundtrack does help set a tone as well with it, and they also did that with Highlander as well. Uh, you know, man, they can write a theme song. Holy, is it universe? Oh man, yeah. yeah. Well, and what's interesting is that you have uh, Brian Blessed's character at one point, Prince Volton, says, "Who wants to live forever?" Forever, yes. And, and mm -hmm. that's that title. That becomes the title of one of the songs on the Highlander mm -hmm. soundtrack, aka Kind of Magic. Uh, so just like ACDC, Who Made Who was the soundtrack for Maximum Overdrive, Kind of Magic is the soundtrack for Heinlander, and you have a song on there that says, 
Who Wants to Live Forever. And it's a beautiful song. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Just like you do get some fantastic songs in this film, too. Uh, So soundtrack, we we had to mention it, at least before we close out here for the evening, uh, that it is worth it, especially if you're a Queen fan and you don't have it, shame on you. Uh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> How can you call yourself a Queen fan? Uh, but I think we will, though, here wrap it up for the night. Uh, we are getting pretty late. Just a man. A man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. So <laughs> we'll go down the line here really quick. We'll have people pimp themselves, tell you where you can find them at when they are not blessing me here with their presence. Dawn, go ahead. You can find my very own unique <laughs> correlations, you know, because who else would compare Flash Gordon to the human centipede? Um, at <laughs> in the audience.net. In the audience.net. Some great reviews. And yeah, I don't think I've ever had that correlation. And now that's that's burned into my head. You know, you know we never actually see what the boar worms are. are. That's, that's it could be he, little human centipedes. <laughs> little, little miniature human centipede. Oh god. Between that and Christopher Walken as Ming, this film has just taken on a whole different piece. You're welcome. <laughs> Glenn, where can they find you at? You can find me on the YouTubes with the Beatle Bunker and Giant of Bunker Productions. Same thing on Facebook or just follow me on the Twitter box at Guy in a Bunker. Awesome. And uh, Jason, do you have anything uh, that you'd like to plug or push or promote? Well, uh, people can always uh, search Chaotic Evil Movie on Facebook to uh, and right at the top of the page is a Vimeo link to watch my movie Chaotic Evil. Um, there's actually a lot of Chaotic Evils on Facebook, so make sure you got the right one. Mine's the one that hasn't had an update in uh, like two years about, <laughs> about Chaotic Evil 2. So uh, <laughs> maybe someday, but uh, that or um, friend me on Letterbox. You can see what movies I'm watching and what I think is cool. Awesome, and yes, we are still waiting for that chaotic evil too. We uh, did, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mark, uh, Mr. Woldridge, where can they find you at and your stuff? That would be at centralbatterymusicworks.com. Also on the Facebooks, and there's also a variety of Bargain bin CD reviews at straightoutofclearance.blogspot.com. Oh, neat. Fantastic. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, reviews. Check it out for you music lovers out there. And Scotty D. Oh, uh, yeah. You can catch me at moviocrity.com. Eventually, I will update it, I promise. I have to. The, the, I'm paying for the domain for another year. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, you can also catch my web series, Moviocrity, at vimeo.com slash channels slash Moviocrity. Fantastic. And you can find links to these fine folks and our other episodes on specialmarkproductions.com, where you can find all your movie man needs as well as all these fine folks as well. We are celebrating 10 years on the YouTubes. I am old man of the YouTube. Uh, at least it feels like that. We've got... All kinds of great stuff yet coming up this month. I hope you come along for the ride. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't yet. We are so close to a thousand subscribers uh, that I can I can taste it. I can see it on the horizon, but we still do need your help. So hit that subscribe button on our channel. And for you all out there, just in case 
for those of you who follow Rotten Tomatoes like the Bible, Flash Gordon has an 82%. So, boom. Mic drop. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this special occasion. And check out next week where we're going to talk about an even more obscure sci-fi film, Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Say goodnight, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Stay!